0: Thank you.
1: Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither
2: Baptism is a symbol of what Jesus did for, for us,
1: us in his death, burial, and resurrection.
2: Being lowered in the water represents our old life dying. life dying
1: Just as Jesus was dead and buried,
2: our past and future sins are gone forever.
1: We are forgiven.
2: We are forgiven. When we are raised out of the water,
0: it represents our new life in Christ.
2: Just as Jesus was resurrected, we are, we are, we are a new creation. The, the old, old is gone. The new is has come. come. Today, today we celebrate
1: as people, people take, take their next step, step
2: and tell the world that Jesus has brought them from death to, to life. life.
1: Today we celebrate the miracle of a changed life,
2: based upon their profession in Jesus Christ.
1: In the name,
3: in the name of, the Father, of the Father,
2: the, the Son, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are buried with Christ and raised
3: to walk in newness of life. In newness of Thank <music> you.
4: For just a moment, let us listen to the words again. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created created equal, that that they they are are endowed endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. My fellow Americans, it falls to us to keep faith with all the great Americans of our past, the things that unite us, These things far outweigh what little divides us. That Jew and Gentile, we are one nation under God. The black and white, we are one nation indivisible. That Republican and Democrat, we are all Americans. With heart and hand, through whatever trial and travail, we pledge ourselves to each other and to the cause of human freedom a cause that has given light to this land and hope to the world
5: who truly makes us free. Let me um, make a couple of quick announcements talking about Independence Day. Uh, immediately after the morning worship service, we have hamburgers and hot dogs, apple pie, peach pie, and ice cream. We have the best meal you've ever had, and it's all over in the DFC. Just join us right after the morning worship service. Um, in fact, all the vegetables, the onions, the cucumbers, tomatoes have come right out of our church garden, so give you a chance to enjoy some of that good food. So I hope you'll plan to stay. We've got plenty of food, and we welcome everybody to come after the worship service. Also, uh, on Tuesday this week, from 10 to 12, or from 12 to 2, uh, we're going to open up the uh, youth room in the DFC for the children to come and play and enjoy themselves. That'll be on Tuesday, and then uh, the following Monday, July the I think that's the 10th, um, Monday or Saturday. I'm sorry, okay. is the is the 9th is the uh, ladies journaling. Uh, so ladies, uh, be sure to remember that July the 9th is the ladies journaling, and they'll have a good time there. And the vacation Bible school, July the 18th, uh, coming up in just a couple of weeks. If you're interested in helping us, please let us know. Be glad to uh, find a place for you. All right, I'm going to ask Edith to come and open us in a word of prayer.
2: Let's pray. Father God, you are our light and salvation. We have nothing to fear. You are the stronghold of our lives. Your love is everlasting. We invite you here today to fill the sanctuary with your presence as we worship you. We will worship you through music, through the reading of your word, through the preaching of your word, through prayer, and through communion. We offer our best to you and pray that it will be pleasing to you. We will continue our worship of you throughout this coming week in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
4: Let's all stand as we sing our cult worship, hear our praises.
1: scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. In chapter 10, he is sitting there telling the uh, Israelites and the Gentiles in Rome that God has not forsaken the Israelites in favor of the Gentiles, but but both Israelite, both Jew and Gentile may come before God. He has not put anything far away, so far away that they cannot, uh, that the word has not reached them. Please read these words with me from chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you are believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. May God bless the reading of his word.
5: seated. This morning as we go to the Lord in our prayers, we want to remember Cindy Benefield. Her mother passed away uh, early this morning, so we want to remember her and the family, uh, Cindy and her family. Let's also remember Joan Williams' husband. He is home on hospice, and uh, Kay Prince is also in rehab. Those living in senior living facilities, Flo Smith, Winona Anderson, Lorraine Bellringer, Tony Myrick, And our Honebau members are Dudley Perry, Cindy Bellmeyer, and Bill Guzzi. Let's pray. Father, on this Independence Weekend, we are so thankful for our great nation. We remember all the sacrifices that have been made to build and defend our country. Help us, Father, to never take all these blessings of freedom and prosperity for granted. And as we celebrate our freedom and liberty today, Father, we are reminded there's really no greater liberty than that we experience from sin and death from which Christ has delivered us. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior, and today our hearts are thankful and we are free to praise you and praise you for the liberty that we have in Christ and in our nation. We want to pray, Father, for those who are serving our country. We're thankful for their sacrifice and their commitment. And today we pray for Omar Silva, Sean Carnes, Colin Graves, Adna Mauricio, Tyler McCarty Cochis, Joshua Davis, Nathan Hayes, Colby Hayes, Devin Guzman, Matilda Pritchett, and Jason Maxey. And Father, we're thankful for them and their service. We're praying, Father, for our police officers and our firefighters and others who make our community a better, safer place. Father, we pray for those who need your healing touch. You know each one and their need. Father, we pray for Cindy and the comfort that only you can bring at a time like this. And Father, we know that you're a God who's able to help us through those difficult, discouraging times. And Father, we pray that you will encourage the discouraged and bring peace to the troubled heart. We pray, Father, for our nation in these very divisive times. We acknowledge the words of the psalmist who said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So, Father, help us to live our lives in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Help us to be a blessing to someone today. Help us, Father, to share Christ and how he can bring freedom and true liberty. Father, you've you've gathered us here as your children. And we've come to know your purpose, to remember your promises, to experience your love and goodness, and to rejoice in your grace. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom of As we come to the Lord's table this morning, the bread and the cup remind us of the sacrifice that Christ made for us in paying for our sins. And many times Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep.
2: Our communion scripture today is from John 10, 14 through 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep.
3: Our Father, as we come to the table, in memory of the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let us be mindful of the sacrifice that he made, that we were lost sheep, but now we have a shepherd, one who protects us and brings us into the fold. So as we partake of these elements, may we do so in memory of him and in a manner pleasing in your sight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
5: For I received from the Lord that which was also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
3: The choir is going to sing, and then we're going to sing a congregational hymn. Now, both of these are patriotic songs. Both of them are prayers. We won't be playing fast and furious like the band is so good at. Maybe after the service, though. Let's watch for that. Um, so, uh, join with us in a spirit of prayer and patriotism and devotion to God as we start with "Eternal Father." nations. shall give as he is able, according to the blessings that your God has given you. Let us pray. (coughs) Fathers, we come together to gather uh, tithes and offerings for your service. We ask that these offerings be used in a manner that would be pleasing to you and would spread your kingdom and strengthen your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you
5: scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. It is page 719 in the Pew Bible. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, 719. But we'll be in the Gospel of Mark, beginning at chapter 14, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Mark chapter 14, beginning verse 1 through 11 for our scripture today. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It was made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now some of those who were present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, he went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this, and they promised to give him money. And so he watched for an opportunity to hand him or Jesus over. Let's pray. Father, in this incredible passage of Scripture where we see so much happening, I pray that our hearts will be opened Receptive to this message that you have for us today, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, Amen. You know the idea that um, a decision is needed to become a Christian. Well, that idea is it's rather strange for some people. Here's let me give you an example. Some people some people already consider themselves Christians because when they were infants, their parents had them baptized, and therefore, nothing further is necessary. Uh, Or others would say, well, they would consider themselves a Christian because uh, they went through confirmation classes when they were children, and because they went through confirmation classes, therefore, nothing further is necessary. Well, there is a decision that has to be made to become a Christian. I have to make that for myself, you have to make that for yourself. What decision is necessary to become a Christian? Well, this morning we're going to continue our study in the life of Christ, and we're doing it in the Gospel of Mark. And we're now coming to the really the third section of this Gospel. There, the, the Gospel of Mark divides into three parts. In the first section, the question that is being answered is, who is Jesus of Nazareth in fact even the disciples when they were when they were out on the boat in the sea of Galilee and there was a storm and and Jesus stands up in the boat and he calms the wind and the waves and and the disciples look at each other and they ask who is this that even the wind and waves would obey him but in chapter 8 Jesus he asked the 12 who do you say that I am and peter Peter speaks up and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right, first question is answered. Now we move to the second section of the gospel. Why has he come? Why has Jesus come? Why has the Son of God come? Jesus himself answers that question three times. Three times Jesus says, I have come, I will suffer many things, I will be rejected by the chief priests and the elders, And I will be killed or crucified, but on the third day I will rise again. Three times he answers that question, why have you come? Well, this morning, it all culminates in chapters 14, 15, and 16. We come to what we sometimes refer to as the passion of Christ. This this covers, these three chapters, cover the last couple days of Jesus' life and this this final section the, past, the passion of christ this final section it begins with a woman anointing jesus with perfume and it ends in chapter 16 with a group of women going to the tomb to anoint him with expensive perfume now of course when they get to the empty the tomb it's already empty but this section the passion of christ it begins with an anointing of Jesus, and it ends with at least an attempted anointing of Jesus, and, and they're like parentheses to to surround this these last couple of days because this is the most significant event in all of human history. We're going to cover over the next few weeks the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, though, we're going to we're going to look at Mark chapter fourteen. Verses 1 through 11. And in this passage, we're going to meet two people. And, uh, you know, when you, when you look at these two people, they, they appear to share the same faith in Christ. They, they both sit at Jesus' feet for his teaching. Uh, they're both witnessing his miracles. And they both appear to be on the same page. But these two people could not be more different. One of them will anoint Jesus, but the other one will auction him. One is a believer. One is a betrayer. So this morning, we're going to look at these two individuals. We're going to look at Jesus as he is anointed by a follower who is serving him. And then we're going to look at Jesus auctioned by a follower who is really serving himself. All right, let's look, first of all, Jesus is anointed by a follower who is serving him. Now, in the first verse, we're told that it is two days before the Passover. So we are now two days before the crucifixion. And Jesus and his followers, they've been invited into a home, the home of a man named Simon the leper. (laughs) Now, actually, I think he wore that name with, with great honor. I think he saw this as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. You know, someone would, he would walk up to someone and introduce himself, I'm Simon the leper. And he would say, you have leprosy? That was his opportunity to say, no, I don't. But let me tell you about Jesus who healed me of my leprosy. So I think he wore that name as a badge of honor, Simon the leper. And he wants to honor Jesus. So he invites Jesus and all of his disciples to come into his home for a meal. So they're sitting there, well actually they're reclining, they didn't sit on chairs like we do. They were reclining at the table, and suddenly the most unusual thing happens. Mark says in the middle of verse 3 that a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It was made of pure nard she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, John, in his gospel, also recording this event, tells us that the woman's name is Mary. Mary is the the sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And this is an astonishing moment. This is an incredible event here as uh, she pours all of this expensive perfume on Jesus. And um, Mary never says a word. Not one word that Mary spoke is recorded here. But her actions speak louder than words. And that's what I want to look at. This is an act of worship. It is an act of very thoughtful worship. You know, um, she brings this very expensive jar of, of perfume with her. And this is something you would not carry with you on your person. It was fragile. It was expensive. And yet she brings it to the home of Simon the leper, and she does so because she has carefully and thoughtfully decided, I'm going to anoint Jesus as an act of worship. She's given careful thought, she has gone through a much preparation, and she's already made her mind up, this is what I'm going to do. And by the way, shouldn't all worship be thoughtful? Shouldn't all worship be something that we would come prepared to do? I mean... There's there's nothing that you and I will do in life that is more important or more significant than worshiping the God who created us. Worship is, is at the core of why we're here. It is it is the foundation of our Christian faith. It's really the foundation of our relationship with God. I uh, I was reading recently about a pastor in Atlanta. Uh, I think it was St. Mark's Church in Atlanta. And after the service was over, he was shaking hands with people as they were, as they were leaving. And he was shaking hands with a, a young lady. Later, he learned that she was 28 years old. And she says, she said, I want you to know something. She said, this is the first time I've ever been inside a church. And he thought, well, what did you think? I mean, what was your impression? And she said, you know, it was very scary. Well, he thought, maybe I need a little clarification on that one. Uh, What what exactly do you mean? She said, well, you know, it just seems so important. I've never really been a part of something important. And this just seemed important. And it is. There's nothing more important than when we gather to worship God. Because when we gather to worship God, meeting with God in worship, this is where we find our purpose in life. Meeting with God and worship, this is where we begin to learn the, our value and, our, and the meaning of life. Gathering to worship God and meet with God, this is where we begin really to experience the love of God. It's where we, we learn of, of God's forgiveness. Some time ago, I was talking to a gentleman who was I was sharing with him about him coming to church. And he said, you know, I, I would like to, but honestly, I don't think God would ever accept me. You, you don't know some of the things I've done in my life. And I've always been afraid to come to church because I've always felt that God would never accept me. And I assured him, listen, God's forgiveness is greater than anything you've ever done. And by coming to church, you learn about God's forgiveness. And so worship is important. And it was important enough to Mary that she says, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it with thoughtful, careful prayer. Anyway, it's an act of thoughtful worship. It's also an act of sacrificial love. Did I mention that this was expensive? You know, the, the perfume? It is actually imported from India, from the Himalayan mountains. It's very expensive. In fact, the text tells us that its value was about a year's salary. Now, I don't know what a year's salary is. Let's say, can we use round numbers? Would that be alright? Let's say... Uh, $50,000. That's a lot of money. And you know what? Here, here's what I think. This is my my view. I think she felt it fortunate that she had something of value. I think she felt fortunate that she had something of value that would say to Jesus, this is how much that I and my family value our relationship with you. That we value our friendship with you. That we want you to know, I and my family, how much we love you. By the way, I, when I was reading this passage, my, my thought was went back to the Magi. Remember the, the three wise men that came when Jesus was born? They brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh, which is a, 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 an expensive perfume, and they came to worship the Lord. And I, I'm thinking that Mary here, in many ways, is kind of like that. I... Um, there's actually a poem, or not a, it's a short story uh, called the, the Gift of the Magi. And uh, it was written by, uh, the, the pen name is O. Henry. I don't know if you're familiar with him. But he wrote a short story, and it's about uh, a young couple. Jim and Della are their names. And, and they're in love with each other. They're crazy about each other. And uh, Della's uh, pride and joy is her long, long flowing hair. In uh, in the story, it says that when she would would let her hair down, it was it was like a robe that would cover her. Jim's pride and joy was his gold pocket watch that he had received from his father, and uh, it was Christmas Eve, and Della only had a uh, dollar eighty-seven, and she wants to give Jim something that's more than worth a dollar eighty-seven, you know, to express the, the depth of love that she has for him. So you know what she does? Remember the story? Yeah, she cuts her hair off, and she sells it. And then with that money, she goes out and buys a chain for Jim's pocket watch. And of course, when she hands Jim the, uh, the gold chain for his pocket watch, he didn't know what to say, because he then handed her the tortoiseshell comb with jeweled edges that he had bought with the sale of his pocket watch. You know, I think that's what you call loving somebody. And Mary here, I think she just wants Jesus to know that she said, I want you to know that I and my family, we love you, we value our friendship, and we value our relationship with you. So it's an act of sacrificial love. It's also an act of selfless humility. Now John in his gospel tells us that that Mary not only uh, anoints his head with this perfume, but also his feet, and then John says that she washes or wipes his feet with her with her hair. Now that's that's an act of humility. Let me tell you, because in that culture, you know, people wore sandals. They walked outside in the dirt. Sometimes traveling the same roads as animals. Animals leave things behind. You know, you never know what's going to be in someone's feet when you're washing them, and she's washing. Jesus feet with her hair and and add to that by the way add to that this the cultural difference for her to let down her hair in public that's scandalous i mean we're all familiar with the uh, the stringent rules there in the middle east about women and their hair their head coverings right and here's mary she's just letting her hair down and washing his feet with her hair this this was an act of tremendous humility. By the way, you know what Paul says? Paul says that a woman's glory is her hair. I'm thinking, wow, she's, she's, she's giving to Jesus that which is most expensive and that which is most glorious. So it's an act of selfless humility. And then last of all, it's an act of spiritual discernment. In verse 8, Jesus says this. He says, She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. That's incredible. That Mary is anointing Jesus in preparation for his burial. I think, to me, I think this is her way of saying, Jesus, I know who you are, the Son of God. And I know why you've come. You've come to die to die for me and for my sins. I think she, she understands the implications of who He is and why He has come. And you know, and you know think about it. Being a Christian, being a Christian means discerning who Jesus is. Being a Christian is discerning of why He has come. Being a Christian is discerning that it is only through Jesus that there is salvation and eternal life. Being a Christian is understanding that his death on the cross is the means for which our sins are paid for. And that through his death, he has rescued us from judgment and wrath. And by the way, you know, you know, Mary, Mary pouring out this uh, costly perfume on Jesus is really a foreshadow of Jesus pouring out his costly blood for her. And just just as mary and just as Mary uh, is expressing her love for Jesus by pouring out the perfume, Jesus will pour out his blood as an expression of his love for her and for us as well, and as followers of Christ, we understand Jesus has done something that is amazing, something that is wonderful for each one of us so for mary Mary, this was an act of Worship, thoughtful worship, sacrifice, it was a sacrificial love, selfless humility, and an act of spiritual discernment. But not everybody appreciated this, okay? If you'll notice in verse number four, verse four, some of those present were saying indignantly, indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Why it could have been sold for more than a year's wages? and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Wow. Obviously, she had a different software accounting system than they did, because I don't think she considered this wasteful at all. I think she considered it wonderful. And and that's what brings us here to the second half of this passage. Let's look at, second of all, how Jesus is going to be auctioned off by a follower. But this follower is serving himself. Who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about Judas. Judas is going to auction off Jesus. You know, while Mary is anointing Jesus in this incredible act of love, Judas is plotting in his mind how he can auction Jesus off and get some money for it. You know, this is an amazing passage because you have, this, you have Mary this beautiful picture of love and devotion to Jesus. And it is surrounded, it is surrounded by just pure evil. Notice again in verse number one, the middle of verse one, it says, the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. And notice verse 11, how it ends in verse 11. At the end of verse 11, so he, Judas, watched Looking for, or watched, for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, actually in the original Greek text, it's the same word. Looked. Same word. Before the meal, the religious leaders are looking for a way to arrest and kill Jesus. At the end of the meal, Judas is looking, same word, for a way to hand Jesus over. And he will. He'll hand Jesus over. For... 30 pieces of silver. And, you know, the religious leaders thought, hey, we're getting a bargain here. 30 pieces of silver, and we're finally going to be able, we're finally going to be able to get rid of this guy who's been such a a thorn in our side. You know, it really is hard to grasp. Hard hard to grasp why Judas would do this. I mean, he's been traveling with Jesus for, for three years. And he's been watching Jesus relieve people of their suffering, feeding the hungry. He has been healing the sick. He's been—they've uh, been listening to—he's G- been listening to Jesus teach. And yet, I mean, Jesus, Judas was there. Think about this. He was there when Jesus healed Simon the leper. He was there when Jesus healed Bartimaeus, who was blind. Judas was there when Jesus raised Lazarus out of the dead. How do you explain this? That that Judas would betray him? I I think it comes down to this. Here in the last days before the crucifixion, Judas is beginning to realize opposition to Jesus is mounting. It's growing. It's increasing. And he's beginning to realize this isn't going to go well. It's not, going to, it's not going to turn out well for Jesus, and it's not going to turn out for those who are following him. And it's here we begin to really see the, uh, the true colors of who this man is. See, here's my point. Judas was following Jesus because he thought in the end it would pay off. He thought it would profit him. He saw himself in a place and position of power and prestige. But now that things don't seem to be moving in that direction, now that things seem to be turning downward, he decides it's time to sell out. You know, kind of like Wall Street. You know, Wall Street, you know, you know when a stock is performing well, you keep it. But when a stock is underperforming, what do you do? You sell it and Judas is looking at this whole situation he's thinking about Jesus he's thinking you know what it's time to sell out and that's what he does you see he was following Jesus not because he wanted to serve Jesus but because he was serving himself that's what he was serving himself it was what he could get out of it you remember remember the story of job in the old testament you know, you know, Satan comes to God and says, does Job serve God for nothing? Accusing Job that really, the only reason Job is serving you, God, is because you've enriched him and made him, made him wealthy. He's serving himself. He's not serving you, God. And then Satan says, you let me take away his wealth. He'll sell you out. You let me take away his, his, uh, his health, and he will sell you out. Now, we know that did not happen with Job, but it did happen with Judas. When the storm clouds began to come, he sold Jesus out. You know, when you look at this passage, you've got two people. You've got Mary and Judas. And, uh, you know, as long as the sun is shining and uh, you know the sky is blue and the grass is green and all is well, you really can't tell the difference between the two of them. It's not until the storms begin to brew. The clouds begin rolling in. The wind begins to blow. And when that storm begins to hit, that is when, that's when you begin to see the difference between Mary and Judas. You see, Mary, she's accepting of the fact he's going to die. She's there to anoint him for that. Judas says, I'm not in on this. I'm out. I'm cashing out. You know, two people could be sitting in church, both listening to the prayers, following along in the Bible. They can be right there in the middle of it, and and as long as the sky is blue and the grass is green and all is well, you can't tell the difference. But boy, when the storm clouds come, when things go wrong and life turns bad, that's when you begin to see the difference. Someone says, you know, Scott, I used to be a Christian. You know, I used to go to church when I was little in Sunday school, and you know, I used to be a Christian, but... Now that I'm grown and I've seen a lot of things in this world that, you know, I just, I just can't believe in God anymore. I just can't believe in a Jesus or church anymore. Or someone says, you know, Scott, I, I used to be a Christian, you know, I grew up in church, and, but, you know, I have a special needs child and, and my husband left me and, you know, something, I just, I, I just can't believe in God anymore. I can't believe in Jesus anymore. You know, that is a nice way to say it. I used to be a Christian. That's not really true. Anyone who sells Jesus out like that was never a Christian. Judas, he was never a follower of Christ, really, in a true sense of, the, a sense of real faith. What I mean is, Judas was never able to look at Jesus and say, Jesus is my Savior. He could never say, The Lord is my shepherd. He could never say things like that. You know, Jesus, when you when you follow the life of Judas, you see that he often referred to Jesus as rabbi or teacher, but he never called Jesus his Lord. And Judas really, you know, he's really a warning. He's a warning to those who look at Christianity as a religion. It's a religion. You know, religion where you, you know, you check the box. Baptism, check. Yeah, nothing further is necessary. Catechism, yeah, check. Nothing further necessary. Uh, Church membership, check. Check that box. Nothing further necessary. Christianity is not a religion where you check the box. Christianity is not a religion where you say, well, I'll try it for a while, and and if I don't like it, I'll try Buddhism. If I don't like that, I'll try um, Islam or something. Christianity is not a religion. And that's the difference between Judas and Mary. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a relationship with Him in the sense that we can even use personal pronouns. And we can say, as Christians, Jesus is my Savior. The Lord is my Shepherd. We use possessive pronouns of, of people that we, we know personally and intimately. For example, if I were to say, I want to introduce you to Debbie. All right, Debbie's a friend. She's an acquaintance. Someone that I know. But if I were to say, I want to introduce you to my Debbie, that changes the whole picture, doesn't it? That says that this Debbie is my wife, someone that I know personally intimately, someone that I have a close relationship with. We only use personal pronoun, pronouns of people that we have this close personal relationship with. And that's why in Christianity, it's not a religion. It is a relationship to which we can say, Jesus is my Savior. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's the difference. See, Christianity, religion, religion has, they offer nothing but protocols. You know, here are the seven sacraments and you you check all those boxes and you're going your way to heaven. Or here are the the five pillars and check those boxes and you're going to make it to paradise. Or here are the eight paths and you check all those eight boxes and you'll make it into nirvana. Christianity is a relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ. In 1853, a man by the name of Holman Hunt painted a portrait of Christ. Become very well known, obviously. It's a portrait of Christ, and he's knocking on a door. And that's based on Revelation chapter three, verse twenty. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat or fellowship with him and he with me. The point of that painting is that Jesus is standing at the door, the front door of our lives. And he's knocking. He wants to come in. He wants to be our Savior. He wants to be our Lord. But he's knocking. And it does take faith. It takes faith to open that door. But he's the one knocking. We have to be the ones to open the door. See, that decision is up to each one of us individually. I can't make that for you. I can only make it for myself. You can only make that decision for yourself to where you say, I want Jesus to come into my life and I want him to be my Savior and I want to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd. So, yes, a decision is necessary to become a follower and a Christian. In fact, Christians are those who make the decision to open the door and invite Christ into their life. That's the uh, take-home truth I want us to take with us today. Christians are those who make that decision. They open that door, inviting Christ into their life. And I pray that if you've never done that, do that today. You know, realize Jesus has come to save us from our sins and provide a way of salvation. Put your trust in Him. Invite Him in to your life today. Let's pray. Father, this uh, passage of Scripture where we see truly a true believer, one who is devoted to you. And I pray, Father, that we'll take the heart that we need to be like Mary, inviting Christ into our life and having that personal relationship with Him. Father, if there's anyone here today who's never come to faith in Christ, Open their hearts, and may they open the door to you in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Let us stand and sing, Just Come just as you are. Amen.
5: pray with you this morning, and I'm hoping that you will stay. We've got hamburgers, we've got hot dogs, apple pie, peach pie, ice cream, we've got everything. This is the best 4th of July meal you'll have. How's that? So stay with us for a little while. We've got plenty of food. We'll meet over in the fellowship hall and have a good time of fellowship and food. Let's have a closing prayer. Father, we're thankful again for the freedom that we enjoy in this wonderful nation the freedom of worship and speech. And Father, I just pray that you'll continue to bless our great nation. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.